Lord, we thank you for the truth in those lyrics. Oh, man, Lord, this morning something fresh hit me about this gospel truth of old. It shall not kneel. It shall not faint. God, the, the truth and the beauty of the redemption that you offer, it will never kneel. It will never fail. It will never fall short. It will never faint. It will never bow down to anyone else. Lord, this is the greatest truth of all the universe. Lord, that you made a way for us. Lord, thank you for making a way. As we turn our attention now to your holy word, we ask, God, that you would speak in spite of a foolish and unworthy servant. God, I know full and well that I'm not able, that I am not worthy, and, and only you are sufficient. By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you preach this morning? Would you add your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word? Would you pierce our hearts, Lord, that we might be convicted? Oh, but Lord... For those who are hurting, would you provide comfort, provide strength and encouragement? Lord, for those of us who need it, would you challenge us? And all the way around, Lord, would you build up and strengthen your church? We ask that you would do all these things, Lord. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. It was wonderful to have Josh with us last week, and uh, he had a wonderful message that he delivered from the book of Psalms, but this week we are going to return to our sermon series walking through the book of Exodus, and so we have made it through nine plagues, and and I, I'm very sorry to, to draw this attention, but uh, I, I feel like I'm extra loud, a little bit louder than, than normal. Is that is that true? Are people's ears bleeding yet? Okay, maybe maybe pull me back just a little bit because I might get excited here just in a little bit, guys. I, you never can tell, and then we really might have some shattered eardrums. All right, is that a little better? A little more palatable? I'm seeing a lot of this. Okay, wonderful. So we've been through nine plagues, and remember those plagues come in three cycles, and each of those cycles has three plagues. They have a pattern that they follow. In the very first plague, he goes to Pharaoh early in the morning. There's There's a progression that happens through these plagues, it starts off with Aaron doing a lot of the talking, with Aaron using his staff. And as the plagues progress, we get to see more and more of Moses doing all of the speaking, doing all of the talking, using his staff. Things adjust as we go along. But then at the end of the last plague, we saw where Pharaoh did not want to see Moses' face again. And when we look at Exodus chapter 2, 11 this morning, I want us to see the difference in the way that God speaks about Pharaoh and tells Moses to speak to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. This will be very much like the third plague or the sixth plague or the ninth plague where Moses doesn't necessarily go before Pharaoh, but he proclaims this to the people and it is brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh knows that Moses proclaims this. 
But it may be confusing if you're remembering that Moses isn't supposed to go be face to face with Pharaoh again. He's not necessarily before the throne of Pharaoh face to face, but he will proclaim that this plague is coming. And notice the shift. There will no longer be a request. The Lord speaks in the future predictive. This is what's about to happen. So turn with me if you still have your Bible and look at Exodus chapter 11. I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand once again out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word as we look together at the entire chapter of Exodus 11, which is 10 verses. Just as Jake gave us instructions earlier, I will read for us. And when I've completed, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you once again to say thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Exodus chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not. Listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, we enter into a a new A new section of Exodus. This is still the tenth and final plague, but you'll notice everything slows down just a little bit. This is an entire chapter dedicated to what was happening in a few verses in the first nine plagues. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Moses speaking to the people of Egypt and Pharaoh, setting up this plague, but this time there is no request. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, I'm telling you, you better let my people go. Pharaoh, this is your last chance. You better let my people go. The last thing that happened to Pharaoh is that God turned out the lights. You remember? The lights went off. It was black 
everywhere in all of Egypt except for the land of Goshen. There was just this oval of sunlight that shined down over all the Israelites. And everywhere else in the land of Egypt, it was black. And you got to remember, Pharaoh is supposed to be the son of Amon-Re, the sun god. So Pharaoh is supposed to be in direct communication with his daddy, so to speak, and be able to turn the lights on and off whenever he pleases, right? Because he's a god, right? He speaks to his dad, the sun god, and the sun shines. That's just the way it's supposed to work. Not so. This is, this is the ninth plague where the Lord brings it home for Pharaoh. Already throughout these plagues, Pharaoh's magicians, his high priests have said, Do you not understand, Pharaoh? This is the finger of God. The, the people, the servants came before Pharaoh and said, Do you not understand that all of Egypt is ruined? It's over. We've lost everything. There's nothing left. Why will you not repent? Why will you not turn? And over and over again, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. The judgment's been set. And so now the Lord will not let Pharaoh go. Remember, we talked about jumping out of an airplane. Remember the tandem jump. It's your first jump. You're scared. You don't know if you're going to jump out of the plane or not. So they make every first jump now a tandem jump. If you want to go skydiving, they're going to strap an experienced skydiver to you. And when you get scared and you're on the edge of the plane, 10,000 feet above the earth, and you go, ah, can't do it. The tandem jumper is going to jump out of the plane. And guess what? You're strapped to the tandem jumper. So guess what? You go out of the plane too. And we get to plague number 10. And God says, I have hardened. I will harden Pharaoh's heart the same way a tandem jumper hardens your heart by jumping out of the plane with you strapped to him, whether you like it or not. You get out this plane. We ain't turning around. You done paid your money. It's happening. Pharaoh, you've already rejected my word. You've already rejected my servants. You've enslaved my people. You killed their firstborn sons. You threw them in the Nile. You can't turn back now. You've hardened your heart nine different times. Now's not the time that you're going to chicken out. You and all of Egypt who are complicit in your sin. You said go throw the babies in the Nile, and they did. I don't know if any of you guys remember, you know, Colonel Jessup. Anybody remember this This. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You're glad I'm on that wall. You can't handle the truth. You guys, Tom Cruise, anybody? All right. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a, it's a, it's a good movie, all right? It's, it's really intense. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. They were not supposed to do the code red, right? He orders for them to go and do some hazing on this young recruit, and the young recruit dies. So everybody's on trial trying to figure out why this young Marine died from hazing. And remember, at the very end of the movie, he says, well, why are we still in trouble? Why weren't we acquitted also? He goes, because we shouldn't have followed through with the orders. Same thing's true in Egypt. But but God, how come all the firstborns have to die? Because when Pharaoh said, take these innocent little babies who had never done anything to anybody and throw them in the river... You should have said, I quit. I'm moving to Babylon. I'm moving to Assyria. I'm getting away. I don't care what you say, Pharaoh. I ain't taking babies and drowning them in the river. So their punishment is the same. And Pharaoh says, you've lost all. And God says to Pharaoh, you've lost all your chances. 
This story is 100% about God and His sovereignty and His right and His justice in the universe. The evildoer, the wrongdoer, will pay for the wrong that they have done. It is an assurance throughout the Bible. In Psalm 37, in Colossians chapter 3, over and over again, God is a just God. And when we move forward past chapter 11, we're going to see that even though, even though this is a punishment for all of Egypt, the instructions are well known. Remember when the hail came. We talked about the hail briefly. The hail came and Moses told the people of Egypt that the hail would come. And anybody who feared the Lord put their livestock inside, right? And those who did not fear the Lord, their livestock stayed outside. It got smacked upside the head with some hail and it died because the hail was huge. So anybody that believed the Lord took shelter. Our God is still a God of redemption. There's not a secret about the Passover. What we're going to see in chapters 12 and 13 is that those who feared the Lord, even within the land of Egypt, could have taken a lamb and painted their doorposts and been passed over. But they refuse. They don't fear the Lord. They reject God. And folks, I know that this story is all about God. I know that this story is about him against Pharaoh. But I'd like for us to focus on one of the side plots, if you will. One of the, one of the side characters. We often look at this character and think he's the main character, but God's the main character. This is a side plot. This is a, a side story that we're going to trace for just a little bit. God's giving all of the Israelites favor in the Egyptians' eyes. And when Moses goes out and speaks to all the people and tells them what's going on, Moses gets really mad at Pharaoh. You have to imagine that Pharaoh's able to hear from his palace this proclamation that Moses is making. And so we're going to focus in on Moses' reaction. We've heard nothing about Moses and his reaction to Pharaoh other than he pleaded for Pharaoh, right? When Pharaoh said, go talk to the Lord and tell the Lord I'm sorry, and I want you to go and tell the Lord uh, to stop the, 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 the hail, to stop the gnats, to stop the flies, to stop the frogs. Just go pray for me, Moses. Moses has been patient, right? He's been kind. He's gone and sought out the Lord, and the Lord stops the plagues. This has been the relationship over and over again. But what did we see this time? It's a little bit different, right? Moses leaves out in hot anger. Look at the end of verse 8. And he went out, Moses went out from Pharaoh... In hot anger. In hot anger. We get absolutely no description of why he is angry. But if you'll allow me just a little bit of room to speculate. Have you ever been praying for somebody? And you love this person. And you pray for this person. And they are trapped in their sin and they refuse to let go of it. Maybe they've been looking at things online they ought not to look at. Maybe they've been struggling with same-sex attraction. Maybe they've been struggling with alcohol. Maybe they're a liar. Maybe they're a gossiper. Maybe they got issues in their marriage. Maybe they got issues with their parents. I don't know what's going on, okay? 
But this is a person you love and you've been praying for. You've been working with them to run from their sin and run to the Lord so that they might be categorized by the fruit of the Spirit and then not be stuck in this sin for all of their life. And, you, and they come back to you and they go, well, I got drunk last night. And you love them and you're going to keep praying for them. But in that moment you go, I got to go. And that's all I got for you. That person that's looking at other women that he ain't supposed to be looking at. And he's like, man, I was talking to this girl the other night. She ain't your wife. What are you doing? That's all I got. That's all I can handle. Pharaoh stands up on his little palace on his balcony. And he's just listening to Moses. And Moses says, your sons, your firstborns are going to die. And Pharaoh goes. And Moses goes. And he walks off. Now, I don't know if this is righteous indignation. I don't know if Moses has a right to be angry like this. But I know that Moses has sought God on Pharaoh's behalf. And Pharaoh still refuses. The reason I think this is because of what it says in verse 10 and what it says in verse 9. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He reminds Moses. He said from the get-go, Moses, Pharaoh's not going to turn around. It's not going to happen. Don't get too mad, Moses, because Pharaoh's not turning around. And we see this man who is absolutely huge in Scripture fighting with his anger. This is a side story, okay? This passage is about God and Pharaoh. But don't miss that here is Moses, 80 plus years old. Still struggling with an anger issue. Folks, you know why we get angry at people sometimes when they continue to sin? Because even when we're saved, sometimes we still fight with our sin. And you know, we get in our little holy huddles here in these churches and we like to put our little masks on. Look, we got our masks, right? We got good masks. We got real good masks. We've been wearing these masks a lot longer than the government told us to wear these things. We wear them to church. You can't see half of me. Man, I'm good. I can't see right now because my glasses is fogged up, but I'm good. Everything's good. Our marriage is great. Our marriage is wonderful. No, I'm perfectly content being single. I'm, I'm not looking for a, a, a mate for the rest of my life and totally discouraged that I'm still on my own. Hey, you know what? College is wonderful. There's no pressure. Hey, guess what? School's amazing. I don't ever sin. I don't ever think dirty thoughts. Everything's going wonderful in my life. We just like to pretend like everything's A-OK and we don't let anybody inside. Listen, there should be people in our life that we do get mad about because we're working with them and they're holding us accountable for our sin and we're holding them accountable for their sin and we're working through life together. That's the Christian life. And that's what we see in Moses. Even this man, 80 years old, struggles with anger. You guys remember back in chapter 2, right? He was trying to adjudicate between a little scuffle between an Israelite and an Egyptian. Now, gentlemen, 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 please, please, calm down, calm down. Everything will be okay. Everything will be, It is not that serious. Please calm down. Sir, sir, Mr. Egyptian, please calm down. Sir, I'm not kidding. Please calm down. Sir, I'm telling you. Hey, sir. And he just kills him and buries him in the sand. Moses got an anger problem. But see, that was 40-year-old Moses. Maybe he was, you know, his emotions were running hot. 
His hormones were going crazy. Maybe he was just caught up in the heat of the moment. Yeah, but here's 80-year-old Moses. Still kind of struggling. We're getting way too hot at Pharaoh. He was hot in his anger. You know, Moses is, is mentioned in the Old Testament roughly 800 times. A little less than 800. He's mentioned in the New Testament about 80 times. Moses is held up in the Scriptures as a man to emulate. And even this man that we are told to, to strive to be in communion with God like he was, had sins, had struggles. Don't miss that in Exodus chapter 32, he's going to be up on the mountain. We'll get there eventually. I don't know when, but we'll get there. Just, just hang tight. In Exodus chapter 32, he's been up on the mountain with the Lord. The Lord writes down the Ten Commandments. God himself writes down the Ten Commandments on these tablets of stone gives them to Moses and sends Moses down the mountain. When Moses gets down the mountain, those guys and gals are worshiping the golden calf. Moses takes those stone tablets and slams them on the ground. He grinds up the golden calf. He mixes it with water and says, drink it, drink it. You want to worship it? Here it is, ground up in your water. Drink it. That's no exaggeration. That's not theatrics. He grinds up the golden calf. Look it up in Exodus 32. And he makes the people who were worshiping it drink it. And he broke the tablets God wrote on. Man, it's one thing to come down and be mad. But you're going, you're going to break what God wrote Himself. And God comes back and chastises Moses for that. And then, okay, well, but look, but look, Pastor, surely he got past it, right? Surely he reached a point in his life where he made it to the promised land and he was in complete control of his anger and he didn't have any more problems with sin, right? Well, then you get to Numbers chapter 20. And in Numbers chapter 20, they find some bitter water and, and they can't find good water to drink. And so God tells Moses to go out before the people and speak to the rock and say, Produce water. I don't know what he's supposed to say to the rock, but he's supposed to speak to the rock. Numbers chapter 20. You can look it up. Moses gets out there. It says he smacks that rock with his staff twice. Two times. Moses is so mad at these people. I can't believe we've been walking through this desert for 40 years. There's been quail. There's been manna. Every time you need something, there's the Lord providing for you. And yet you're going to come to me and go, We ain't got no water. Oh, why are we still in Egypt? This is awful. We're out here to die. You know what? I'll bring water out of this rock for you. Bam! Bam! And God mercifully lets water come out of the rock. But Moses erupted. In hot anger again. And this time he struggled with it for so long, there's severe consequences for him falling victim to his anger. He never gets to go into the promised land in his natural life. Forty years he led people. Forty years, one goal. Get them into the promised land. Get them into the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. He ruins it with his anger. He's probably close to 120 at that time in his life. Oh, don't worry, Pastor. It'll get better with time. I'll get older and, and I won't have these urges. I won't have these desires. I won't strive for people to like me so much. I won't care so much about whatever's going on with everybody so that I gossip. These things aren't things I'm going to struggle with all my life, folks. That's just not the case. 
Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Romans chapter 7. And it's one of the most confusing and back and forth passages because he says, there's things that I don't want to do because the Lord is in me and I don't want to do them. But then my flesh wants to do them. So the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing the very thing that God doesn't want me to do. This is Paul talking about his struggle with his sin as an apostle writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Folks, we forget that we're never going to be perfect until we stand before Jesus. And, And we think, you know what? I got this life figured out. And I can handle this on my own. I don't need help from somebody else. But we do. And then we don't talk to anybody. Or we're willing to talk to people, but we just go talk to somebody that doesn't have anything to do with the Lord. Have you ever done that? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an intimate question, you know, and it's something that church people ought not to talk about. So I, I, I can't go talk to somebody in the church about that. So let me just hinge my marriage on the, devi- on the advice of somebody that's not in the church at all. Doesn't even care about the things of the Lord. Yeah, that's going to be helpful. Folks, I'm not saying you got to wear every sin on your shirt and say, Hey, look at me. I'm a fornicator. Hey, how you doing? Hey, look at me. I'm a liar. How y'all doing? I'm a liar. You see my sign? It's up above my head. So everybody knows I'm a liar. I like to gossip. So if you see me coming, run the other way. Because I'm telling you what, I'm going to tell you the dirt on everybody else. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Have you heard about so-and-so doing such and such? I'm not saying you got to broadcast it far and wide, okay? But there ought to be people who are founded Christian men and women that you let in, that you're vulnerable with, that you're willing to say, I have not got this figured out. There is power in confessing our sin to one another. The book of Galatians tells us to bear one another's burdens. If we don't ever share burdens with one another, how are we going to bear with one another? Hey, man, I, I don't really know what to do. I, I'm, I'm just really in a season where I, I doubt if all this is even real. But I'm scared to talk to anybody about it. God, help us, church. If that's the culture that we have, where people can't be open and honest about their doubts or their struggles. Because even Moses struggled. Moses had a severe anger issue. And if you'll notice it, he seemed to keep it in pretty good check. But he leaned on his father-in-law. He leaned on his sister. He set up judges and and, and leaders over groups of tens and fifties and hundreds. Moses leaned on other people. He leaned on the congregation. He leaned on the sacred assembly. And that's the example that is set for us to lean on one another, to bear one another's burdens. So that if we erupt in hot anger... I can go to Jake and go, Jake, man, you've got to help me, brother. You've got to pray for me. I still can't let go of this anger. I still can't forgive so-and-so. Man, Jake, you've got to help me. I, I'm doing this. Or, man, Kenny, you've got to help me. Man, James, you've got to help me. We've got to be able to go to somebody and say, John Wallace, I need your help, brother. I'm struggling with these sins, and I need you to be my brother and be with me. Women, you've got to be able to go to Jessica, to Brittany, to Miss Vicky, to Miss Lisa, to Karen, whoever. Find somebody in your small group, in your Sunday school class. Find somebody that you know loves the Lord. Because we have to keep fighting our sin. 
See, we took fighting our sin so extreme, we now pretend we don't have it. And we can't stay there. We have to fight our sin because our sin has consequences. But we fight our sin together. We bear one another's burdens. You can't just say, well, I trust in Jesus and I follow Him, I love Him. But boy, I'm an adulterer. I just cheat on my wife all the time. But you know, that's just the way the Lord made me. And He's okay with it. And that's all right. No. No. It's not okay. We've got to fight that sin. Because that sin has consequences. That can destroy your marriage. That can ruin your children's lives. Separating your parents. There's so many consequences that roll out of that. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. We have to fight our sin. But we have to do it for all of our lives. Moses did it for 120 years. Paul did it even as he wrote letters to the churches. Listen, I love the way that Jason breaks this down for us. It's from Daryl Robinson. When we get saved, when we trust in Jesus for the very first time, we're justified, right? So we're freed from the penalty of sin. That means if you trust in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and you give your life over to Jesus as your Lord, in that moment we are freed from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God's goodness. Eternal separation in a place called hell. We're freed from that penalty. But then for the rest of our lives, we are working against our sin in sanctification. And that's a process of being freed from the power of sin in our lives. And it takes all of our lives. Listen, I know I've done this analogy. I know Jake's done this analogy. When we trust in Jesus, we should begin making progress looking like Jesus. And sometimes we go backwards, but we keep making progress. And maybe we took two more steps back, but I'm still closer to being like Jesus than I was when I started. Because we're constantly being freed from the power of sin. And then we're glorified one day. Either Jesus comes back before we die and takes all those who believe in Him, boom, immediately to be in His presence, or we pass away. And our last breath here on earth is followed by our first breath face to face with our Savior. And then we are freed in that moment from the presence of sin. And I think there's a lot of us who decided that we're free of the penalty of sin, but we're just going to give in to the power of sin. And we're going to hold out till we're free from the presence of sin. That's not what we see in Paul's life. That's not what we see in Moses' life. That's not what we see in Scripture. It is our duty as Christians to lean on one another, to lean on the Holy Spirit, and to be freed from our sin. Because our sin carries consequences. God help us if, if we're just a holy huddle where everybody comes in here already wearing their mask. Oh, how are things going? Oh, they're great. They're great. Inside you're saying, my wife almost left me this morning. But I'm doing wonderful. This is fantastic. Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm awesome. And inside you're going, 
my, my parents, they're, they're, they're in nursing homes right now that are riddled with COVID. I have no idea what's about to happen to them. I can't go see them. And my insides are torn to shreds. But on the outside, boy, I sure am doing awesome. It's great to see you today. Ooh, I tell you what, Joanne, that pink just looks lovely on you. This is just it's a wonderful day at church. That's not church. If we try to do church like that, we will fall apart. We cannot think there are no consequences for our sin, but we cannot think that we can't share our sin with anybody. Folks, let's learn from Moses. Let's learn from Paul and fight our sins together and bear one another's burdens and find somebody to lock arms with and live this life together for the sake of the Gospel. Be willing to be open and vulnerable and share. But folks, you can't start to do that if you've never trusted in Jesus. There are consequences for sin. Just like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's separation from the Lord. There is a penalty for dying in sin. That means dying, rejecting the forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ. Jesus was born of a virgin. He is the Son of God. The same essence as God the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He was born and lived a perfect life. Fulfilled every possible aspect of the law. And even though He was innocent, He was willing to die on a cross. And all of God's wrath, all of God's wrath was poured out on Him on a cross for our sake. That those who would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you've never believed that, I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but I want you to know if you haven't believed that and professed that Jesus is your Lord, made Him the boss of your life, surrendered your life to Him for His service, then I feel like you probably are still under the penalty of sin. And we don't need to start worrying about the sanctification because you had never been justified. If that's you this morning, would you be willing to trust in Jesus and have life abundant and full? In just a moment, we'll have a time to respond. I encourage you to come forward and say, I need to trust in Jesus. Grab me by the hand, grab Jake by the hand, and say, I need Jesus. If you're watching online, then comment and say, I need Jesus. And give us a way to follow up with you, and we will. But don't leave or tune out of this broadcast without knowing Jesus. Secondly, if you're here today and you're struggling with sin and it's private and you think nobody knows and you think nobody cares, God knows and God cares. Don't try to hide it and think you can do this on your own. We need each other. Find someone trustworthy to fight your sin with. And be willing to be open 
and vulnerable. And let's make strides in holiness together in a real and authentic way. Those are our two ways to respond this morning. Maybe the Lord put something else on your heart that didn't have anything to do with any of that. However the Lord moves, I'm going to pray for us. Jason's going to come. We're going to have a song. After I pray, I invite you to just respond to the Holy Spirit, however He leads. Would you bow with me? Great God in heaven, man, thank You, Lord, that You made a way that there is forgiveness for our sins. Lord, help us to live lives of holiness. Lord, help us to not be pretentious and stuck up and fake and phony. But Lord, help us to be real. God, we're all broken people. And we're all in desperate need of Your help. Lord, help us to fight our sin. To wake up each morning and crucify ourselves. Take up our cross and follow You. Oh, Lord, we love You. And this is not possible aside from Your Holy Spirit. Would You move amongst us this morning? We ask all this in Jesus' name.